0: know why I'm so passionate about music to code by? Because it works. I'm still getting a steady stream of success stories from developers just like you who sail effortlessly through hours of coding. There's only one problem: They can’t get enough. Well, not only are we up to track 13, but you can download them all in one shot for a new low price. The collection was 54 bucks just a little while ago, Still only a little more than 4 bucks a track, but now you can get all 13 for only 39 bucks. That's only 3 bucks a track. Yeah, that's more like it. 325 minutes of pure bliss. Go get it now at collection.musictocodebuy.net.
1: .NET Rocks, episode 1331, with guest Daniel Moore. Recorded Friday, July 15th, 2016.
0: Welcome back to DotNet Rocks. This is Carl Franklin. And this is Richard Campbell. We're here for another hour of geeking out and .NET geekery.
2: What's up, Mr. Campbell? I haven't talked to you in a few days, not since Montreal. Yeah, yeah. We were in Montreal together, and I've been running Hither and Yon. Of course, time-shifting involved. We're recording this sort of middle of July. It's coming mm-hmm. out the first week of August, which means I'll be on my Arctic expedition, such as that is. Yeah. Uh, it's a mean adventure. But uh, I'm pretty sure by this point... I still won't be in my basement. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, the flood, the flood waters! The the flood of November of 2015, uh, you know, got home from my journeys and sat down with the wife last night. We're sort of going over, you know, and thank goodness I'm married to someone who's also a project person. Mm. And we just sort of look through the math of what's still this and it's still that and still this. And it's like, that's too close to us leaving. This isn't going to be done until August. Wow. So... Wow. We were supposed to be done in May, if you recall.
0: Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah.
2: But you have big plans. You're not just cleaning up, you're renovating. So that's no, kind No, we, of- we changed a bunch of stuff. And I'm very pleased with what we've done. I'm I'm happy with it. More of the lighting's in. Like, it's, it's looking really good, but it's mm. taking really a long time. Well, I had a personal milestone. I hit a 300-pound barrier that I
0: was at. You know, I broke through the 300 wall. Congratulations. Yeah, I started dieting at 366. And I've lost all that weight now. I, I clocked in at 297.
2: And when was the last time you were under 300 pounds? Did you know?
0: I can't remember. Honestly, I can't remember. Wow. It's just, uh, that's all a blur to me. But, um, more importantly, my A1C went from seven point something in the diabetic range to 5.9. So I have no diabetes anymore. So that's, that's cool. Good. It's all good. It's all, all good. Right. I'm just taking a little victory dance and hope everybody wishes me well. As well you should. Yeah, as well I should. Now let's move on to the show. Better no framework. <laughs> all right buddy what do you got oh i found lean labs uh kanban board for GitLab issues it's uh at kanban.leanlabs.io or 1331.pwap.me nice GitLab lab kanban board free open source self-hosted kanban board for GitLab issues and uh i haven't used it of course you know but i did see it was trending and a bunch of people seem to like it whose opinion i respect And uh, it's free. It's Kanban. Come on.
2: Yeah. You can't go far wrong at that point, right?
0: Yeah. So it's built from the ground up using the GitLab public API. And uh, Kanban issues are GitLab issues. You'll never have to
2: deal with synchronizing and all that stuff. And it's pretty cool. looks really interesting. And just a way to visualize the issues and, and how they're flowing, who's working on them, what they're doing. Right. Right. So there you go. All right. No, it, learn it, love it. Who's talking to us, Mr. Campbell? Grabbed a comment off of show 1304, not that long ago. It was a show we did with Mark Seaman. We were talking about learning Haskell. Mm. And this particular comment is lengthy, but intelligent. Okay. Uh, this is Daniel Pratt, who said, thanks for dedicating a show to my favorite programming language. I want to add further clarification about what functional purity means to Haskell and writing useful Haskell programs in particular. First of all, there are no impure functions in Haskell. Full stop. I'm ignoring the unsafe functions, and so should you. Hmm. So since Haskell functions can't have side effects, how does one use Haskell to write useful programs? Because kind of side effects are what programs actually do. One thing to know about Haskell is that they very good at modeling concepts. As an example, the folks who created Entity Framework first modeled that framework in Haskell. So, we can solve this problem by creating a framework that would allow us to model useful programs. Then we just need something to turn that model into a live program. Hmm. That something is the Haskell compiler with some assistance from the Haskell runtime. Great. Great. At the centerpiece of this framework is the IO action values. An IO action value is a value that represents some action that, when run, can have arbitrary side effects and produce a result of some type. IO action values are parameterized by the result type in the same way that lists in .NET are parameterized by their element type. Okay. An IO action value could represent printing a line of text to the console window or could represent an entire program or anything in between. From the perspective of pure functions, IO action values are simply values like any other. As an example, the put string line function has the string to IO. That means that put string line accepts the input of type string and returns the value of type IO. In this case, the return value is an IO action value that represents the printing of the input string to the console window. The parentheses part is actually a type read as a unit here that represents the result type produced when this particular IO action value is run. The parentheses type has only one possible value, also represented as the unit, and the equivalent is void to the mainstream programming languages. Now, I I like this because it's a way of basically declaring very clearly, I am going to have some IO Hmm. that, while is not a value per se, you know, it's equivalent of void, is an action. So you can see right away that actions have been taken, hence the action values. Hmm. Is that cool? Yeah. Uh, and, uh, Daniel goes on to say, I'm skipping a little bit here. By the way, the fact that these action control flow constructs are actually functions is really cool. It means you can view the source code for them, which is most often surprisingly simple. And it means you can create your own. Simon Peyton Jones, who's been a guest on the show. Yes, right. he has. Yep. Called the IO monad, the programmable semicolon. <laughs> oh. I said the M word, I should stop. Yes, you said Monad, don't say it again, (laughs) but I'll send you a mug anyway. Daniel, thank you so much for your comment. Uh, Obviously, we need to spend more time in Haskell. There's some really interesting things here about making very declarative behaviors. And a .NET Rocks mug is on its way to you. And if you'd like a .NET Rocks mug, write a comment on the website at .NET or via any of our social media. We publish every show to Facebook and Google+. And if you comment there, we read it on the show, we'll send you a mug. And
0: definitely follow us on Twitter. I'm at Carl Franklin. He's Rich Campbell. Send us a tweet. Hey, they're immutable. All right. Let's bring on Daniel Exmoor. He is the HyperDev Team Lead and a member of technical staff at Fog Creek Software. probably heard of them. He's the creator of the popular reactive templating framework Hamlet.coffee and has worked in a variety of web programming roles at Sony, OkCupid, and others. Welcome to the show, Daniel. Hey, great to be here. Great to have you. You guys at Fog Creek have done some really good stuff. I'm thinking of Trello. It's a great tool. We've used that forever
1: fog bugs yeah trello stack overflow uh copilot all kinds of great stuff
0: that's right yeah a little little website stack overflow you might have heard of it little website yeah you might have heard yeah just
1: yeah yeah it was it's a little side project we're seeing if it's going to catch on
0: <laughs> <laughs> so you're here talking about Hyperdev and um just looking at the sort of the elevator pitch it's a, a playground for programmers but it, things automatically get published to real sites. What What is that exactly?
1: If you go to com in the first two seconds, you will have a Node.js Express app up and running with a URL. You can then use that as you would normally any other app. The difference is you haven't done anything on the command line. You haven't pushed any code anywhere. You haven't deployed anything. We've all done it for you. So now you just make your code changes, your app immediately reloads, and you're up and running. Uh, we like to think of it as just the development part without any of the boring or tedious or complicated things. If you just want to get your idea out there, it's the fastest way to do it.
0: Yeah, it looks cool. And I'm, I'm going there now and then there's a little live button that you click that and you see uh, a dream of the future. Oh, hi. Tell me your hopes and dreams. And there's a little box and you submit it and stuff and, and all of that. But it, what I expected was a sort of a unique URL, but that's not what I see I see crimson-stone.hyperdev.space. So what kind of magic are you doing in there?
1: <laughs> uh, let's see. So we have a list of all the best words, and we combine them into a domain, and we put that on hyperdev.space for you. So as soon as you go to the web page, your project is launched, we've created the project, we've created your domain, uh, and then you can curl it from the command line. It's now live on the Internet uh, whatever You can copy and paste code from Stack Overflow into there,
0: and now you've got an app running. So Crimson-Stone is unique to me. Yeah, exactly.
2: Right, I have Stellar Fang. No kidding. <laughs> I love that. <laughs> that is so cool. Yeah, it's really clever.
0: Okay, and the playground itself is a, a Node.js playground, but it looks like you have, you know, you can use JSON packages and... You have the, the front-end stuff.
1: Yeah, basically anything, uh, any HTML, CSS you can use, any Node.js package uh, should work fine. Hmm. Uh, we're planning to expand to multiple languages uh, in the near future, uh, but we just want to start with Node.js uh, as it is 50% of developers know and love and hate Node.js.
0: <laughs> yeah. Well, Node.js was one of those first tools that was just really stripped down and it caught a lot of... Uh, JavaScript developers at the right time, you know, and uh, very powerful and fast and as I said, stripped down sort of just all all it really did was process messages, which is great because as we know that, you know, the stuff people were used to using on the back end is, you know, kinda hard to get going.
1: Yep. Yeah, and also I guess after the rise of the internet and the web, basically a lot of people know JavaScript now. And uh mm. Now they can get in on the server stuff too.
2: Yeah, I think it's the big challenge for folks is that there's JavaScript and then there's JavaScript. If you've only ever been a client dev, you use JavaScript a particular way, yeah. especially, you know, if you're not into uh, some of the spa mindsets or some of the more modern ways that pages are built today. This is kind of a shock to the system to start, you know, I'm looking at server JS and this, seems familiar to me because it's not all that different from uh, other server programming environments, but this is JavaScript where you wouldn't normally expect it.
1: Yeah, definitely. I think one of the interesting things about, and it's actually kind of contrary to people who are proponents of, you get to use the same language everywhere. Is even if you are using the same language, like the DSLs you use on the front end, the libraries you interact with, with the DOM and the uh, jQuery type libraries are very different than the libraries you interact with on the back end, Like a, uh, SQL or some kind of ORM. And so even if you are using the same language, you still need to learn sort of like the libraries and the tools and mm-hmm. the domain specific pieces for whichever component you're focusing on. Yeah. And
0: JavaScript developers know nothing about learning new packages all the time, do they?
1: Yeah. They, they never <laughs> learn anything new. Like if only a new package would come out. I once, know.
0: Jeez. Uh, <laughs> oh no. Well, um, so who did you make HyperDev for?
1: Uh, let's see. I, I, Mainly for people like me who want to develop an idea, like who have hundreds of ideas, and then you get started, you're really excited. You're like, yeah, I got my great idea. I'm going to go develop it, and then you're like, okay, I just got to uh, check out a Git repo first. I'll initialize that. Oh, I got to update my nodes out of date. I got to update that. Oh, and it's not, it's wrong with my operating system. Now I got to uninstall the. Ubuntu one, install the one from the internet, and okay, now it's up to date. Oh, wait, what was my cool
2: idea again? Oh, I'm kind of sad about it. <laughs> I know it was cool. <laughs> yeah, I knew I thought of an idea at some point here. <laughs> yeah, okay, cool, I remembered my idea.
1: Now I'm going to type in my code. Okay, I got my server running locally. It looks great. This is awesome. Now I just got to like, share it with people. Oh, well, uh, I got to... What's my Heroku account password? It's my GitHub. Yeah. I got to push it up there, and then how do I deploy this? Is it going to cost me money? Mm. And then like, okay, cool. I got it deployed.
0: And <laughs> so I get the hyper part of it, which is just, you know, really, really fast from idea to production. Do you have limits in terms of, you know, what you allow people to put up there and how much traffic you allow them to accrue? And I mean, it looks like a, a nice sketchpad for getting stuff working when it's time to go to production or even a staging or a serious environment. I don't think that's what this is, is it?
1: Uh, Yeah. So right now we do have limits on sort of the amount of traffic you can get, like the amount of space you can use in your application. Mm -hmm. Uh, We have sort of a, we're in beta right now. And so it's just a free tier. We're still experimenting with where exactly maybe there could be paid levels uh, for more capacity. Uh, And so like, our plan is, yeah, it's great for prototyping. You probably today wouldn't want to put any sort of business-critical production app that's going to have a million users in all HyperDev right. uh, and probably destroy all of our servers. <laughs> yeah. but yeah. Uh,
2: This feels like a prototyping space. As soon as I get past the prot- as soon as you go, oh, yeah, I like that idea. What about this and this? Shouldn't I be leaving HyperDev? Like now I do go set up my environment and, and so on? Uh, yeah, like there's definitely there's room to grow out of it.
1: We have it really easy to uh, download a zip of your code or to export into GitHub or to right. so like we're very portable. Like we want to make it easy to get started and easy to run somewhere else. But uh, we got one trick up our sleeves, which is prototype code becomes production code. And so I think we're just going to lure people in. like Yeah, this is great for prototyping. And then the boss sees it and he's like, great, it's done. Ship it, so mm. then they just have to pay us money <laughs> for their capacity.
0: Right. I <laughs> mean, you you're obviously running in the cloud somewhere, right? Yep. Yeah, yeah we're using uh, AWS and
1: uh, using Docker instances to spin up the containers very quickly.
0: Right. So it doesn't. It seems obvious that you could just scale it up and you know get some sort of uh, charging mechanism and API involved, and uh, and then you've got to got it all the way down.
1: Yeah, definitely. I think. Um, like, it's definitely, there are known solutions to that problem of, yeah. okay, if you have a service people like and they're using it a lot, you can charge them money and then that's a business.
0: <laughs> yeah, it's a good problem. Yep. So, what did, do you have problems with people like hammer testing stuff? You know, oh, I heard nodes really fast. Let's spin up a whole bunch of test clients and burn it down.
1: Uh, we haven't had too much recently, but uh, we've had a little bit. And like, so if your app is badly behaved. Uh, we we do have limits on the servers and it is somewhat constrained. So like you can only sort of degrade the performance of others a little bit. Mm. Uh, your apps do only live for a very short time. So when requests come in, we actually can spin up the app in two seconds or less usually. Uh, so they can actually be sleeping the vast majority of the time. Uh, Hmm. so it does help us, uh, make use of those resources more efficiently.
0: So are there any other trade-offs? I mean, other than, you know, this is your prototyping room and space. Uh, are there any, Is there anything else that's maybe, I don't know, not what people might expect?
1: Uh, yeah, so I guess as it stands today, it's really easy to get started. It's really easy to get your idea out there and publish and get feedback on it. Uh, some of the current limitations are... Uh, You don't have control over the deployment. You don't have control over the capacity or provisioning. Mm -hmm. Uh, So if you do need performance beyond what we can provide in our free tier, you'd have to go somewhere else. Uh, Another trade-off is we don't have sort of built-in branching for things like experimental branches or feature branches. Uh, We do have really great collaboration, though, if you want to. If multiple people hop in on the same project, They can both edit simultaneously, sort of like a Google Docs style experience. Nice. Uh, And so it still auto-deploys. It's actually really fun for hackathons, really fun for any sort of collaborative thing or a designer and developer working together without stepping on each other's toes too much. Wow. But yeah, we plan in the future to sort of address the branching trade-offs. It's, again, one of those things where we know there are ways to solve it, and it's mainly dedicating the resources to solve it. But our primary goal was, can we just get this core experience good enough for people to get the idea? And once they get that idea, we can then fill out all of these other things that are, there are known solutions to. We just have to apply them correctly with a, a bit of design to make sure they stay simple and stay focused in the HyperDev philosophy.
2: Yeah, I can imagine. I mean, Node scales really well. So I got to think you'd be able to just harness more and more resources. It's just a question of whether or not you can make that make sense financially.
1: Yeah, I think uh, sort of with the like Docker and containerization and things like that, as people are moving from VMs and even bare metal servers and hosting their own stuff, like it does allow for much greater utilization of the machines that you have. And we believe there should be savings in there. Uh, and it right. seems to be the direction that everyone's heading. Uh, and so I think if we just get in there and like really learn how to optimize our systems, then we can pass those savings on to other people. Like your app sends out an email once a week to everyone in your company for like the lunch order. Right. And like that app only needs to run for those like 10 seconds that's sending out that email and then it can just be asleep or in storage and not use any compute resources the rest of the time.
2: I I imagine if I want to store some data somewhere, that's up to me. I should probably harness some other service, an S3 or Big Table or something like that, and call it from the the node code. Uh, Yeah, definitely. So
1: these applications are basically stateless. Uh, When you spin them up, you you can write to a temp directory, but it won't be there like in 15 minutes if it goes to sleep and comes up Mm -hmm. again. Mm -hmm. Uh, Right. So if you need to persist data, you can use... There's a lot of like database-as-a-service type things. Some of them have a free Redis or free Postgres you can get. Uh, yeah. And we actually make that really easy. We have this .env file where you can store secrets, and there's like a database URL. And so that file is private in your application. Uh, only people who are members of your project can see it. And then you just basically paste in your database URL, and the server side has access to that. The client-side code doesn't you can basically build a simple web app uh, very quickly and connect into all these existing resources on the web.
2: Right. Wow. And, that, and that's the main thing is if I'm, you know, continuing to try to go at the speed of thought here, I don't want to have to stop and set up a service and, and to be able to yeah. go to the next step on these things.
1: Yeah, definitely. And I think that's also uh, something we plan to make easier in the future. Right now, we just sort of took the simplest approach is use some other existing service or use whatever... Is out there because uh, our goal is interoperability like we don't want to have oh, if you're in hyperdev you have to do everything the hyperdev way and you have right. to learn all of our hyperdev philosophy and all of our special hyperdev tools that all yeah. work on the hyperdev platform you should be able to just <laughs> find whatever on stack overflow paste it in and then your apps running tweak it a little bit and even respond to someone's question say okay here's how
0: you fix it wow right it looks so cool. Now, um, what have people been using it for? Have you seen any really cool things? Uh, do you get to, first of all, take a look at what people are doing and do you every once in a while just say, oh, that looks interesting. Let's go check that out.
1: Uh, yeah, definitely. There's like a lot of it's like by default, your projects are public on HyperDev. Sure. You do get that URL you can share with people. Uh, and we've seen all kinds of things. We've seen, I think in New Zealand, uh, they had they're teaching 10-year-olds to program using hyperdev. And so they were learning JavaScript. Uh, and that was really cool to see. Uh I knew that lowering the barrier for developers, like it seems like a really important thing to do. And then to actually see like if you lower the barrier enough, then people who might not traditionally be developers, like kids or students, or any like people who need to use computers to solve a problem, but might not think of themselves as developers. If they can just go to a web page and have an app running, then they can be developers. They can edit code. They can solve their problem. And that was really interesting to see.
0: Yeah, it could have the VB effect, you know. Oh, geez, this is so easy. What? I need to do this, huh? What? I need to make a container. What's the cloud? Oh, no. (laughs)
1: Oh, yeah. (laughs) I read a, uh, a certain large company whose name begins with a G provides a service, and I was reading through their tutorial and it was, uh, at first I was like worried, like, oh no, they're kind of in the same space as we are. And then as I was right. like, going through this 10-step process to get started in this like cloud container thing using pods of something I have to configure, I'm like, oh, okay, eh, don't worry I, about I about think it. is going to be doing it.
2: okay. <laughs> <laughs> Suddenly I, I feel I... less threatened. <laughs> yeah. That
0: company you're speaking of rents with Google, right? Just saying.
2: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's, uh, it sounds like something like that. <laughs> I don't want to say who they are or anything, but... Uh, don't <laughs> want to name names. Yeah. yeah. I mean, you guys are down to a click away from code, which is about as short as you could get.
1: Yep. Yeah. Our goal is uh, to really see, like, how short, like, what is the quickest we can do and really achieve that. Uh, we found even on the auto reloading, if it takes more than a second and a half from when you change your code to when you see the change, yeah. it, like, feels terrible. And you're like, I'm just going to go back to my local dev environment. But if we can keep it under that, it actually starts to feel really good especially with collaboration and there's like if you were trying to collaborate locally if you do pair programming and get that feedback but if you're using git or version controlling like okay I'm going to make a change I'm going to push it up now you can check out my change and you can see it like that's never going to be under a second and a half.
0: What I like about this is just what you get when you go there. And as you said, it starts a project for you and gives you a URL and everything based on those names. But you get an index HTML, you get a style.css, you get a client JS and that's on the front end. And then of course you can just press the plus button and it says views slash my cool page HTML. I suppose if I just say, you know, another .js file to make a JavaScript file. It doesn't really matter what type it is, right? Yeah. On the back end, I get a server.js. I get a package.json, a readme.env. And uh, and I can just go to town. Man, it looks great.
1: Yeah. And once you do build uh, your project the way you like it, you can update the readme and have people can see how to use it. Uh, people can remix it then and make, like, variations on it, their own take. Uh, so it is great for... Learners for people like, oh, I saw this project, I want to make one like it, but a little different. Uh, yeah. that's really and helpful.
0: The editor is pretty cool. I mean, it's color coded, we have line numbers, we have um, you know, indentation marks. I don't know what you call those vertical lines that go like from the top of a block to the bottom of it. Uh, I think it's like the what is it? I don't it's know, the There's
1: overflow one. thing or whatever. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, it's just a
0: line. Yeah, I don't know, I don't know what they call it, but. Um yeah it looks pretty good. It looks like I could really uh I could really go to town with this.
1: Really quickly, which is what I like. Yeah, yeah, now all those ideas that you've got, there's no excuses anymore.
0: <laughs> yeah, absolutely. I have Stack Overflow in one window and HyperDev in another window and I just spend all day copying and pasting from one to the other. Man, I'm a programmer <laughs> now.
1: Yeah, it's the future.
0: <laughs> <laughs> I'm laughing, but there's so much truth in that, isn't there? Yeah. Yeah. Yep. Let me see what John Skeet has to say about that. Ooh, look at that. I'll just steal that right there. (laughs) Nice. Yeah.
1: Yeah. I'm like, it's funny because a lot of people are opposed to that idea of like empowering someone who doesn't know how to do it right or how to do it properly or how to follow the command line rituals that we all suffered through to learn the right way to program. Yes. Yeah.
2: It was hard for me. It should be hard for you. Yeah. Yeah. Like, so, like, the most
1: hardcore programmers are sometimes the most opposed to this kind of idea because, like, well, I spent 10 years learning how to right. learn Git and develop this thing and to learn AWS deployments and all of these things. And now you're saying that anyone can just walk in and deploy stuff. That doesn't sound fair.
0: Yeah. <laughs> yep. Yeah. I spent years and years learning how to do long division.
2: I just use a calculator. Yeah. Same thing yeah absolutely the same problem but there's so much i mean it's just nice to just have an editing window open and off you go teaching teaching basic html would be a breeze here and that's yeah. it
0: i i i totally am down with the fact that somebody else wrote something that i can make work and learn from you know i i still subscribe to the idea that i should learn everything that i copy and paste or you know every everything that i'm what am i trying to say Every high-level piece of code that I don't necessarily understand that people like to plug in, I like to understand what it's doing. And because sooner or later, you might have to. So, I like to know up front.
2: But, Richard,
0: you know what time it is now?
2: Uh, It must be that happy time again.
0: Yep. Time to steal some more code from John Skeet. (laughs) It's always that time. It's always time to steal code from John Skeet. That's actually time to give away a D experience subscription from Developer Express to one lucky member of the .NET Rocks fan club. But first, become a UI superhero with DevExpress UI controls and libraries and deliver elegant .NET solutions that address customer needs today and leverage your existing knowledge to build next generation touch enabled solutions for tomorrow. Whether it's an office inspired application or a data centric analytics dashboard, DevExpress Universal ships with everything you'll need to build your best without limits or compromise. Learn more and download your free 30 day trial at devexpress.com slash superhero. All right,
2: buddy. Who's our winner? Today's winner, Richard, is Ryan Hirsch. Congratulations, Ryan. Golf
0: clap for Ryan.
2: Golf clap for you, sir. Oh,
0: only one of my clappers is working. Oh, you got a half clap. I got a half a clapper.
2: <laughs> anyway, What's the sound of half a clapper
0: <laughs> I don't know well you just heard him I'm, what do you mean I'm, I'm getting profound today Okay. Uh, actually Ryan Hirsch just won the D experience subscription a big pile of awesome from our friends at developer express if you don't know what we just did go to com. click on the big get free stuff button answer a few questions and join the dot net rocks fan club. We have thousands of members all over the world and every show we like to give away stuff from our sponsors. And every December we give away a $5,000 technology shopping spree to one lucky member of the net rocks fan club, but you have to sign up to win. And now it's your turn, Daniel, if you had $5,000 to spend on technology today, what would you buy?
1: Uh, I would buy Five thousand dollars worth of hyperdevs. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> I just got to get our pricing page up really fast, and
0: uh <laughs> so so even though even though it's a free product right now, you're you're so certain that you're going to bring this to yeah. the next level that uh, yeah, okay,
1: to reinvest it in uh, more Docker containers, right? Buy all these containers.
0: Do you have plans <laughs> to go uh, to any other back-end technologies besides Node?
1: Uh, yeah, definitely. I think we're planning Python. We even have some sort of super beta ways you can do it by like tapping into the package JSON and installing a Python binary and booting that in your like, run script. So there's like ways you can kind of hack into it. Mm-hmm. Uh, but we do plan to officially support other languages in the future very soon.
0: .NET Core, C Sharp?
1: Uh, possibly. I think the ones that are compiled are a little bit harder because your startup time to get out under like a second or a second and a half becomes much more difficult. Okay. Uh but we might be able to. Uh we definitely want to explore it.
0: Yeah, yeah. Performance is really great, but you're right, you do have to take that first hit. Yeah. yeah. All right. And and on the on the client, I mean, obviously it's HTML, you can do anything with that, but is there any reason we can't use an Angular framework or Aurelia or any kind of other things if we so choose. Uh, Yeah, you should be able to use any sort of
1: popular framework like Angular or uh, anything that, like you and add the script on your page and it runs. Uh, Some of the frameworks even have Express.js middleware that makes it easier to get started and render them.
0: Right, it'd be cool to have little templates that you can use. I mean, I like the default template because it's just really easy and basic but I mean, and I know you like that, go to the URL and boom, you've got a website. That's really cool, but might be cool to pick another template, eh? Uh,
1: Yeah, we do have some in uh, our support forum. There's a gallery tag, I think, where you can see other people's projects. Uh, I think there's maybe a React template. I'm not sure Mm -hmm. if there's an Angular one, but there could be. Uh, And there's some... Other like simple apps and getting started. If you want to use like a database or use Postgres or use Redis, we have some templates for getting started with that too.
0: Do you do anything with Hamlet Coffee? And Maybe this is a good time to talk about it.
1: Uh, yeah, actually. So our front end code in Hyperdev is written using Hamlet Coffee, uh, and we compile it in Node.js. So like the front end uh, editor in Hyperdev is a static JavaScript HTML CSS at the end of the day. Uh, it's just hosted on like an S3 bucket with CloudFront and Route 53. Uh, and so to build it, we build it locally with Node.js and Browserify and use uh, Hamlet Coffee reactive templating. And so it's sort of like... Well, tell us what Hamlet Coffee is. Yeah, it's sort of like a Knockout-inspired flavor, I guess, of templating. So if you go back in time to when like Backbone and Knockout, were pretty popular. Uh Hamlet.coffee is like an ex- uh successor to knockout. I basically looked at the knockout source code and found this one weird trick that they were doing to auto uh, auto-observe like functions. I think it's like KO observables or yeah. something. And so the way they did it is they evaluate the function and build like a little stack and then anything that changes that they call an observable in there, like they just automatically bind to every other thing they called. Uh, right. So I thought, oh, that's a really cool trick. I'm going to steal that. Mm-hmm. Uh, and my goal <laughs> was to build. I was using like Backbone and Haml at the time and CoffeeScript. And it's like, wow, it's really hard to use these like three different tools all together to mm. have like a really clean template. So I sort of took the Haml syntax and made it run with uh, CoffeeScript interpolation. So kind of like in Knockout, you can have. Uh, JavaScript, like special directives or special things in like curly braces, which I also thought looked kind of disgusting. Mm. But I decided like, what's the idealized form for me to use these three tools together? Uh, Haml syntax for HTML, CoffeeScript for a little bit of inline JavaScript in my views. Mm. And then, uh, so sort of this automatic binding. And so it turned out using like, any three tools off the shelf together, uh, especially with CoffeeScript, like it's a big hassle because in the templating, if it doesn't know you're using CoffeeScript, then it's JavaScript inside the templates, and that's like a hassle. Yeah. And so basically, to make Hamlet.coffee, I read a book about a parser, or I don't know, like the first chapter on parsing, and then I built like a little parser using Jison Lex because I guess that's the tool you're supposed to use. Uh, and it's like 35 lines, I guess, just for the parsing. And then it's turned out to be pretty simple, but I don't know. It's mm. writing codes hard. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but like the cool thing is I started with like a design of how it should look. Uh, the syntax is, uh, right now it's more Jade inspired. I dropped some of the Haml stuff, uh, cause that's a little less popular and still a little more verbose. Uh, and it's like a really clean, really simple syntax. It's got indentation like CoffeeScript. So it's definitely not for everyone. It's like a certain acquired aesthetic. Yeah. Uh, if it matches with you, it's great. And if it doesn't, don't use it. You'll hate it. Uh, but if you like it, you'll probably really like it.
0: Uh, yeah, it looks really cool. So um, yeah, you, you don't take any kind of um, dependencies on jQuery or anything like that? I mean, are there any dependencies besides the basic JS files that load up in the template? Uh, So for
1: hamlet.coffee, yeah, there's no external dependencies. It's, uh, I think the runtime is around 4 or 5k minified and Mm. gzipped. So you can compile your templates on the command line, add in the runtime, uh, and then render them in the client. Uh, And the handy thing is, if you just render like a plain JavaScript object, it inserts into all your values in the template. If you render a plain JavaScript object with observable properties and the observable is pretty comparable to the knockout observable.
0: Yeah.
1: It will automatically bind those up. So if you change it in your model, it'll change in the template. And if you return, uh, if you bind HTML elements, it'll automatically just insert those in your template as well. Uh, instead of using like interpolation, uh, one of my big complaints against mustache and handlebars is you're not like you're writing HTML fragments a lot of the time. And so it's like really hard to do optimizations from like a framework level because someone can put like half a tag here and half a tag there. And like, they want that to work. Uh, in Hamlet coffee, you have like, it's the, uh, the DSL is like, we close the tag for you. You can set up the properties. The properties automatically bind if they're observable. Uh, the classes automatically add and remove if they're observable. Mm-hmm. And because you can't just put arbitrary HTML in there, it makes it very easy for us to say, okay, this is the DOM node. These are the properties and this is the binding uh, as opposed to, well, it's kind of an impossible problem. If you can just put half of a div wherever you want, like there's no way we can automatically bind it for you.
2: Remember when we were trying to make HTML, this was one of the reasons. Mm -hmm. (laughs) What enforce consistency in tags. Are you crazy? Yeah. Although it's good though, that HTML lets you do whatever you want because it's,
1: like you should be able to paste in really broken stuff and it like kind of works and then you can fix it or not, you know. It's, yeah, limp your way towards functionality. Mm. Yeah, like it's sort of like uh, we were talking about Haskell earlier and like there's definitely you want the full continuum of very strict, very powerful, very rigorous all the way down to just Total chaos, HTML, JavaScript.
2: Yeah.
0: <laughs> it's just the right tool for the right job. Like, mm. it's not one-size-fits-all. Sure. JavaScript, welcome to the chaos. <laughs> so what other plans do you guys have? Do you plan to make the uh, the IDE, for lack of a better word, more robust?
1: Uh, yeah, definitely. We've added... We're using Ace right now for the editor. Uh, and we actually have... Uh, what's that tool called? Uh, Emmet. Yeah, Emmet.js and Emmet Emmet.html uh, mm-hmm. built in. There's like a plugin for it. And so you can just type in like a little piece of HTML or a little CSS rules and hit tab and it'll automatically generate a bunch oh, of nice. like HTML for you. Uh, and we do like long-term, we want the editor to be as good as desktop editors, but it's not our priority short term because a it's an infinite amount of work yep and b like we know that we can make editors better in time but the big question is will people use a tool where they just go to a web page and have a project like how can we convey that idea do people even want this and Mm. we're focusing on that first
0: and so have you been able to answer that question i mean i guess this came out at the end of may so it's only been a month or so what's uh, the adoption been like Uh, It's been very
1: positive actually. So I think we've definitely like now we're, we know people like it. We know people want this and now we're kind of refining it further. It's like, okay, who's the specific market? well, they pay money for this, like, and where can we make it a real business? And now we're kind of trying to refine that further.
2: For me as a trainer teaching HTML and JavaScript, like to have a set of templates to sort of drop my students into the same place each time and and have them walk through with no installs, like that's really compelling from a training perspective.
1: Yeah, definitely. I think there's a lot of uh, possible applications in teaching and hackathons and even like inside businesses. Mm. You need to prototype something really quickly, or it would take you two weeks to make a request in your IT department to get some kind of VM provision so you could start a project yeah. or something. It's like, no, I can just explore it right now. Oh, it worked, cool. Now I'll make the request to do it internally. Or, oh, it didn't work. I'll try something else later.
2: Right. Yeah, so I I definitely think the prototyping angle of being able to do a certain level of experiments until you get people excited about something before you go through resource commitments is really an, uh, is one angle of it. It's just I don't know if people will pay for that because you know that's a barrier too. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, I think uh, my ace in the, my
1: ace up the sleeve is prototype code becomes production code as uh, right. night
2: turns to day. So it's, they're yeah. going to be on so, it. <laughs> yeah, the, yeah, the idea that when they do get successful, they don't have to leave. They could just hit a button yep. and off we go. Yeah, so now they've built their successful prototype and they show it to their boss. And their boss is like, yes, this is amazing.
1: And they're like, oh, yeah. well, actually, we should provision these servers and set it up correctly. And the boss is like, no time for that. Just write the check,
0: send it to you. <laughs> <laughs> Go, go, go. I've been the guy who's been sitting in meetings and somebody says yeah, we really need a website up. And then you just raise your hand and said, here is the URL. You know, yeah. it's like, <laughs> I,
2: lo- I love having a solution before the meeting's over. Yeah, powerful stuff. Powerful. Is that path then you guys are on to be another Heroku almost? Uh It's definitely possible. Like I see that we could compete with Heroku. We could compete
1: with GitHub. If you think about it, it's kind of like a combination of like the best parts of GitHub and Heroku, and simplified even in an ideal world. Uh, so, in theory, people can have all their code in Hyperdev, have all their apps running live in Hyperdev, right? Uh, and have like that type of collaborative experience. When we do expand to branching multiple languages, mm. like we could have 10 million people, maybe 100 million if we include like kids, people who aren't traditionally thought of as developers, but people who use computers to solve problems in their life or in their business, which is almost everyone these days.
2: Yeah, I mean, this could even be a path to a, a more advanced if this, then that kind of thing too, right? You could be the front end on, a, on another kind of engine on the back end.
1: Yeah, definitely. Like you get all these little applications and then as they sort of proliferate and multiply into the internet, they are published at URLs. You could then build your tool, calling a couple of other ones and they call a couple of other ones mm. and you get this weird... Dr. Frankenstein's monster, distributed internet of, you know, all of these applications built by all these different people, and you can either fork them and modify them, or just call into them if they provide a service. Like there's a lot of possibilities.
2: Yeah, you you could absolutely lose your mind on this stuff, right? Like if this then that is one of the great manifestations of that spaghetti monster of of the internet, you could be a huge contributor to expanding spaghetti. (laughs) Yeah,
1: but like the thing is, that's the only thing that expands. Like we like to believe that, oh, people are so purposeful and so diligent and they like to understand things and then do things. It's like, that's actually, we tell ourselves that so we feel competent. What actually happens is...
2: None of that is true. It's not even
1: close to true. No one has any idea what they're doing. And like by the time you understand it, if ever, it's long after you've done it. And yeah. you look back and say, Oh, so that's how it worked. And
2: yeah, I, I you know, where I, I would go with this for me it would be whipping up little services for different things to call. You know? yeah. it's just so yeah. easy to make a quick service, stand it up long enough for you to try your thing against it. And then go, yeah, okay, that's useful. Let's pull that out and put it somewhere else. Like it's, it's very interesting to you know, the fact that in just a couple of clicks, I have a URL that you can hit. Mm-hmm. That's, that's sort of the, the power message.
1: Yeah, you could even prototype like an API, just put a flat JSON file in there, serve it up, and then like
2: test that out, tweak the JSON, test it some more. And like, okay, this yep. looks
1: like the right API.
2: <laughs> yeah, and then and go from there. So under the hood, I know you mentioned CloudFront and uh, Route 53. Are you using the container service as well? Uh, we're not using that yet. I
1: think some of our startup times are pretty aggressive, and so I'm right. not sure we could... Uh, be guaranteed of those on the container service, although we do want to explore it as they become more mature.
2: Because you talk about another way to export would be exporting a container. Yeah, definitely. Like there is a lot of, like we're not set in stone on a
1: lot of these things. Like we're still exploring the space and even the space is still maturing with like Docker containers and competing things. Like from the user perspective, they shouldn't need to know any of that. And then later if they do need to know, we should be able to export it in a way that's
2: like sane. Like, okay, cool. This is a normal thing. I can just use somewhere. Yeah, you just take it somewhere else and, and do what you want with it. but yep. Or leave it where it is. Yeah, and if it's it. working, don't touch it. <laughs> yeah, uh, totally. That totally makes sense. But it is an interesting conflict of what do you keep in and what do you pull out? Yeah, I think our
1: plan is to uh, so we'll just like make HyperDev so easy. That people will naturally go there first. And like some people will definitely outgrow it. Like say Google and Facebook, you're like the top 1% Mm -hmm. sites on the internet. You're going to have a custom infrastructure. You're going to need a team of experts who understand software development, who understand Git, who understand deployments, who understand sysops and all this stuff. And like your things can be very custom to your application. But at that point, you're already like a giant success, you know, but all these things that like when. Facebook started, when MySpace started, it was like some guys writing a web page in their garage. And eventually they outgrow the stuff. But if we can just have more people start
2: more projects more easily, it's going to be a great value for everyone. Yeah. Just reduce that friction of exploring ideas. Absolutely. Well, I think you've succeeded in making it simple. Well, that's actually the hardest part. <laughs> sure is, yeah. <laughs> yeah, simplicity is way harder than you think.
0: Is there anything that you want to say directly to our listeners about this that we haven't covered already?
2: Uh, yeah, go to hyperdev.com,
1: check it out. Uh, make your dreams come true. Don't let your dreams be
0: dreams. <laughs> I love it. Well, uh, I guess uh, I guess that's a show. Thanks very much. This is great stuff and I can't wait to get to to get to the playground. Yeah, cool. Thanks, Daniel. Thanks, Daniel. We'll see you next time on .NET Rocks. .NET Rocks is brought to you by Franklin's Net. And produced by Pwop Studios, a full-service audio, video, and post-production facility located physically in New London, Connecticut, and, of course, in the cloud. Online at pwop.com. Visit our website at dotnetrocks.com for RSS feeds, downloads, mobile apps, comments, and access to the full archives going back to show number one, recorded in September 2002. And make sure you check out our sponsors. They keep us in business. Now go write some code. See you next time.